What are those? What are they? Those, those um granola bars that taste really good but fall apart everywhere. They make the rallies. The French. No, that'd be awesome. The French. Like it's like a. Hello, I'm a French prince. I'm gay. That's like kind of the joke. Are you saying that um, you can only eat Popeyes if you have pica? Is it an inedible chicken joke? About Southern culture and politics. Uh, with me, as always, are David Dykes. Hello. And Chad Watson. Hello. And I'm Wes Cheek. I'm sitting here in the basement of Tulane with some type of uh, Haiti convention going on above me. Lots of people are speaking Creole and possibly zombies. I'm sitting in Mexico, and there's a huge celebration going on outside because it's November 2nd, the Day of the Dead, and so there are lots of people dressed up like Indians pounding drums in the street and possibly zombies. Oh, are you sad that you're not out there in it? No, it's not for me. <laughs> it's for the dead. Well, it's, it's like it's a neighborhood thing of... Um, people who have family buried here and uh, it's a church thing and it's just like I don't like being a tourist for other people's religious stuff. It seems not like something I want to do. I mean, it's not that I don't go out. I go to the market and I see all of the stuff that's for sale and I walk by the, um, the graveyard and look in at all the flowers. It's really beautiful and all that, but like a street party up in a neighborhood that I would never walk through otherwise just seems like not something I uh, uh, I would really be very welcome at. Maybe I would, I don't know. But yeah. Chad, are there any uh, festivals, celebrations happening in the streets of Houston? Uh, yeah, it's pretty a pretty similar situation to David's. Uh Everyone's gearing up for the big uh, World Series parade. Houston's first ever World Series parade. Oh, wow. When is that? Tomorrow. Tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Are you going? Uh, I have to work. I thought I they don't school. let the kids out of the school for that? Well, okay. So, Houston, Houston ISD mm-hmm. is, uh, is released from school tomorrow. There's no school in the Houston Independent School District. Uh, but I teach in... I still teach in... Part of the city that is considered Houston, but we are in another school district. Oh, you're and in the boring, do. the boring school district. Yeah, we're in the boring school district that does not get out to celebrate uh, the Houston Astros' uh, first ever World Series victory. So, but we do get to wear our Astros gear and jeans. We do get to wear Astros awesome. shirts. And that's cool because the Astros are the only team that still play in jeans. <laughs> that's right, and that's right. We still they play in their jeans. Well, I quarter, thought they play in like jean, uh, jean overalls. Jordan. Jord overalls. <laughs> well, that's only on September the 11th. Only when they play on September the 11th, they play in jorts. <laughs> tribute, tribute to the fallen jorts. <laughs> yeah. Tribute to the heroes. Mm-hmm. They call it tribute to the heroes. And jorts. With the option of a jerbo, uh, uh, the jerbo jorts, <laughs> with a leather braided belt. <laughs> and of course, uh, well, um, Dallas Keuchel wears uh, he wears jort uh, overalls. They're overall jorts. <laughs> and Evan, Evan Gaddis wears like the hefty. Oh yeah. well, at the uh, if you go to Minute, if you go to the Minute Maid Park, if you go to the Minute Maid Park uh, store, you can buy that official Houston Astros. Um, Jort overalls. Do they give them away on Jort night? On Jort night, yeah. September the 11th. Yeah. Jort night. Can Um, you get a special Paul Wall Astros World Champions (laughs) grill? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm hoping so. I mean, he's buying buying everybody on the Astros one, so. Is he? 
Uh, yeah, apparently. Oh, apparently the, yeah, my my students were telling me about this today, and I meant to look it up, but apparently he posted uh, an Instagram, or maybe it was a Snapchat video, where he said he was going to buy everybody in the Astros like a grill for winning the uh, World Series. Um, I think those guys probably already grill anyway. Who's think, it? <laughs> well, they, Who is this? They grill out. Paul Wall. Who's that? The Ride and Dirty Remix with Papoose. Oh, uh, okay. The mayor but, of Houston. The mayor. Yeah, of the unofficial mayor of Houston. Um, he's uh, the great crossover custom jewelry maker slash celebrity rapper. And what does he have to do with grills? He makes uh, elaborate uh, teeth uh, fixtures. Oh, I thought it was like Grill. George Foreman grills, because George Foreman lives in Houston too, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah, he got his grill from Paul Wall. Oh, okay. Yeah. American Patriot, George Foreman. Right. Um, yeah, I was... Like, what else? Oh, the, the thing I liked the most about this World Series is it was, uh, well, the Houston Astros is their first uh, victory, and it's also the first time two National League teams have faced each other in the World Series, so either way... That's we true. We managed yeah. to get the American League out of the World Series. Yeah. Finally, we yeah. them out. Finally. And El Oso Blanco finally gets his uh, World Series ring. <laughs> and Brandon McCann is still jogging Brian. home. He's still Janet. Yeah, Brandon McCann. Oh, what did I say? Brian. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Can we edit this part out? Where I... Um, no. Brian McCann. No, Brian McCann is still... That was going to be a great... I was going to say Brian McCann is still jogging home. Still jogging to home plate right now. Um, great afterward. So I was going to ask you guys this. I was just... This is to me so we, Halloween was two nights ago right so I had I'm very lucky we live in the garden district which is both bad and good but it has a it's great for Halloween if you have kids we went out in the neighborhood and did all that stuff went to all the houses went to Anne Rice's house and got candy um, so it's pretty cool but I was thinking about Halloween where I grew up and I was gonna ask you guys because I just realized that you guys grew up without neighbors so how did you do Halloween? Mm-hmm. When I was really little, we'd drive over to Eagleton Village and go around there, but um, we didn't we didn't trick or treat after we uh, we quit when we were still pretty little. I think that's the way I, that's the way I remember <laughs> it anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember wearing uh, one of those old plastic masks with a um, uh, elastic band on the back that had a little hole you could stick your tongue out through the little hole and it would touch your tongue. Um, I think it was a hobo. <laughs> a hobo that made the mask with the, the tongue-cutting mask. <laughs> no, it's when you stuck here you your go, tongue... Here you go, man. No, when you stuck your tongue through the hole, a hobo would run up yeah. and cut your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> that was an old Halloween tradition that uh, so I got out for Halloween at Rockford. Well, he'd give you an apple. Let's go to the hobo hole. He'd give you an apple, the hobo hole. and the apple would cut your tongue. <laughs> yeah. He would oh. throw the apple with a razor blade at your tongue. So on the other side of the wall was the hobo's Halloween contest, where they all had razor apples, and they'd throw them at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hit the tongue, your tongue. Uh, hobo Halloween. That's why you put the special hobo mark, so they know that Rockford celebrates hobo Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Rockford. A really good hobo Halloween party. I'm sure there was probably plenty of trick or treating in Rockford, but my grandmother lived over in Alcoa, and so we'd go over to Eagleton and Alcoa and uh, trick or treat around her house. Did they hand out aluminum? A lot of aluminum. Uh, we would get just Poisoning. ingots. Mostly, we got aluminum ingots. And emphysema. Exciting for the house. And aluminum poisoning. <laughs> that was everybody else in Alcoa every other day of the year. And I, my, um, we just drove up and down the, uh, up and down the holler, up and down, uh, the, the holler in Cedar Fork Road. Uh, yeah, there was nobody around, uh, close, close to my house, so my parents would drive us, so they would drive me and my brother and sister to uh, people that we knew up and down, like the kind of the country road. So we just had to drive a lot. On Halloween was kind of a long night. Um, <laughs> so did everybody uh, do that? Uh, my question, Chad, uh, up uh, around Taswell, 
Did people burn mm. things down on Halloween? Because I remember up in Union County that, like, uh, old houses that had been sitting empty a long time or barns that were no longer in use or maybe even sometimes when they were still in use that things would get burnt down every once in a while on Halloween. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, actually, I think we, we won. I remember when I was really little, I saw a, a barn get burned down. And, yeah. I mean, I don't remember much about it. I just remember my mom saying, run, run, they're on, they're, they're coming. And... <laughs> um, well, I know there used to be a big thing in Detroit, right? And that it was a few other places, but it actually, like, got completely out of hand in Detroit, like, in the 80s. I remember that, that from like The Crow. Uh, there was a documentary called yeah, like The Crow. Mischief. Yeah, I remember. I remember it from like, the Insane Clown Posse song. But then I kind of wonder, is that one of those things that is, just, like, is that, like, more of, like, an urban, an urban legend? The Detroit thing? Yeah. No, like, I was reading an article about it this week. Like, apparently it was a very okay. real thing. Like, and people would go up on, like, bridges and stuff to watch the orange glow. Mm. But where would you well, find an abandoned house in Detroit? Yeah, Detroit. Who knows? Yeah, really. In the eighties. Um, but in Tazewell, that they got like it was mostly abandoned barns. Like abandoned barns got burned down. Abandoned houses. Yeah, kind of upsetting. Um, there are probably some really nice barns. Oh yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. I, I so I think this is. Um, a family thing that I have but so we always made our costumes like my grandmother or my mom made them and then we had like neighbors who did the, like buying their costumes or they would just wear like their little league uniform or their taekwondo uniform and so I think that's carried over like when I see kids now like with the Costco's really popular like the superhero outfits that people just put on and I kind of it kind of makes me nuts because like the fun thing about Halloween was like thinking up our costumes like in advance like kind of planning them out and stuff were you guys uh, homemade costumes or like store bought costumes? My, in my family, we got all ours from the hobos. So, um, <laughs> kind of, kind of, I had six of one, half dozen of the other. You know, they weren't homemade, but they were made by somebody who didn't have a home. Yeah, you got something homemade. Costco is what you're saying. That hobo labor. <laughs> Uh, there wasn't Costco um, when I was. A we uh, yeah, my mom made my mom. Uh, we would kind of plan our Halloween costumes out, and okay, then our our poor job. mother would our poor mother would have to try to help help us, and by help us I mean do you most do the of whole the work. Thing. Yeah, yeah it's it's kind of like a science project. Like she, <laughs> this is well, actually, I don't even know if I should tell this story because this has a. Well, I don't think actually, I don't think I wore. I don't think I did what I thought I did. Um, your Confederate flag suit. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as bad. The, uh, I dressed as Michael Jackson one year. My the um, I didn't wear blackface though. I did not wear blackface that I remember. I well, remember then, not I, I, would I? If you're not in blackface, I think um, uh, that uh, Michael, Michael Jackson outfit's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it was a pretty elaborate uh, like outfit that my mom worked on for I remember for being an Ewok one year that was a big hit and then I was a wounded Civil War soldier <laughs> with like a flutophone but as a fife which side uh, oh we were all on the same side he's on the right side <laughs> we were all noble people fighting for what we believed in all on the right, states' rights, fighting I, for states' rights. I think yeah. that Halloween, that the the generation difference between us was the period where Halloween suddenly became much more of a big deal. Because, yeah, we would wear, like, a little mask and then, like, old clothes so mm -hmm. that we looked like um, uh, hobos and clowns and things like that. And I don't yeah. think we actually just threw a sheet over ourselves, but, you know, like... Put on a cowboy hat and say you were dressed as a cowboy, even though you're wearing the same clothes you always wear, jeans and a plaid shirt and a cowboy hat. Right. Uh, that sort yeah. of stuff. But um, Or put some makeup on. Uh, there was always like a cat, and I don't know. But I don't, I don't remember right. it being such a big deal, really, much, mm -hmm. until I was an adult. Um, right. Mm. 
Yeah, I, so I know about the burning things down. I remember my um, my granddad. So my granddad grew up in Dias, Arkansas, and he was a little bit older than Johnny Cash. I was like friends with his family, I think. But so they, this was his Johnny Cash memory is that he remembers they would go out on Halloween night and knock over outhouses. Oh yeah, that sounds yeah. Uh, my mom used to talk well, about that. She didn't do that, but was, she knew about it. We were, so, like, I guess in the last year I would have trick-or-treated, I would have been in eighth grade, but I got pneumonia. I had pneumonia on Halloween night. Um, so you went as a corpse? So I went as a corpse. I, I do have very vivid memories of, uh, of just laying on my couch watching uh, Friday the 13th, just <laughs> sweating, sweating, like, profusely, and, like, having the shivers, and just being home alone, and just thinking, oh, my, I'm so sick. So they tossed you in the back of the truck, and you guys went as, as I lay dying, and they, they drove around the holler. <laughs> we should have. If I had read it at that point, I would have, um, yeah, I would have. If you uh, hadn't lived it. If you'd read I, it. Yeah, I lived it. And then I, I did go into the hospital the next day, and I was in the hospital for a week. Um, nice. But my brother and sister got candy. So yesterday was very exciting, All Saints Day in New Orleans. It was the uh, Fast Domino second line uh, <clears throat> yesterday that went from Vaughn's over in the Bywater. And then the exciting part was it went across the bridge, uh, the St. Claude Bridge and the Industrial Canal, um, and then over to Fast Domino's house in the Lower Ninth Ward. I wanted to go for the whole thing and walk across the bridge because that's a very rare treat to be able to do. But because um, we took the kids, we drove over to the Ninth Ward and, and uh, Lower Ninth Ward and waited for it. But it was great. I think every person I know in New Orleans was out there. And I also got had a moment where a car was going kind of slowly past me, and I realized it was like Dr. John in the car. Oh, there's Dr. John. Well, that's a, in front of me. Yep, that's a very, very New Orleans moment. Yeah, and then it's like Dr. John was there, trombone shorty, the Neville. So and it, it was every, everybody was there, and there were tons of different musicians that were playing in the in the brass band. And then there were tons of people from like social aid and pleasure clubs wearing all of their finery and uh, dancing and stuff. So it was a really great New Orleans send off for for Fats Domino. And uh, we talked about it on one of our recent Lost episodes. We have a whole stockpile of Lost episodes, but. I just want to mention this one um, fact about Fast Domino that's uh, kind of mind-blowing to me that NPR put out. That uh, between 1950 and 1963, Fast Domino um, had, he was on the R&B charts 59 times and on the pop charts 63 times. And he outsold Little Richard, Chuck Berry, and Buddy Holly combined between 1950 and 1963. That's insane. Yep, it Um, is. And during that period of time, only Elvis Presley sold more records. And then Elvis Presley, during that run, told uh, Jet Magazine that he was completely aware that Fast Domino was way better at playing rock and roll than he was. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I don't know why Fast Domino isn't, like, nationwide remembered as well as... I mean, he wasn't flamboyant like Little Richard, or uh, he didn't die young like Buddy Holly... Uh, I'm not. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. I think that that is probably I, part of it, and also, mm-hmm. you know, he was playing that kind of stride style, and mm-hmm. I think maybe he didn't uh, whiten up the music quite enough for it to keep on resonating with white audiences through the '60s. Yeah, and I mean, his music is really good, but it is kind of the one thing that it is, right? And it was, it's kind of hard to remember. Uh, unless you listen to it in context, what was so different about it and why it's considered, like, if not the father, one of the fathers of rock and roll, but his, um, you know, track, The Fat Man, that he made with Dave Bartholomew, is one of the first, if not the first, to have, like, drums playing a backbeat to it, uh, Hmm. which seems to us completely normal, right? But in, I think it was 1949 it came out, it wasn't really normal at all, and it kind of suits, you know, he's playing the stride style with the kind of syncopated rhythm and so then you have the drums doing doing a backbeat to it so he was 
he was kind of groundbreaking at the time. And you go listen to those tracks, like I recommend listening to The Fat Man, you realize like, what a great voice he has uh, with the piano and how interesting he is to listen to. But I think, you know, yeah, I think it's a lot of things. Like, one, he lived to be 89 and was kind of a normal, nice guy. Um, so he's not notorious in any way, and he didn't, like, burn out in any way that's remarkable. And his music never really changed beyond... Like, he made some, like, good R&B tracks, right? But it never really changed beyond kind of what he originally did. But what he originally did was was pretty remarkable. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, I was watching... Uh, when he died, I watched a bunch of videos of him just because I hadn't thought about him in a while since I lived over mm-hmm. there. And um, he just has a real charismatic charm in performance, mm-hmm. but it's not frenetic or anything. It's not angsty. He's selling yeah. the songs. He's very consummate sort of showman and mm-hmm. in a really, I mean, I don't want it to sound bad to say a kind of business-like way, but very professional mm-hmm. in what he was doing But uh, and selling it really well. I was, um, yeah, a charming guy, I think. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he only had a fourth-grade education, and his parents were Haitian Creole plantation workers, and his grandparents were uh, enslaved. So that's kind of not, you know, because he lived to be 89, so he's kind of a product of a whole whole different time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was interesting. It's one of those great things that I'm lucky enough to do to be in the city when, when that happens, and then you realize, you know, everybody you know is, is down there for it. So that was fun. It was good. We went to the house, and there's, you know, flowers and stuff all over his house. And then by the time we get to his house, you know, like Dr. John and Trombone Shorty are like up on the porch and stuff, and the uh, brass bands are all out in the street playing a closer walk with these. So it was, it was really good. Sounds like a good day. It was good. Um, yeah. Uh, so, okay, I want to move into today's news, and I'm going to try to link a few things together uh, that might not go together. So bear with me. Uh, and this is probably more relevant to Chad being in Houston. So today was a really bad sports news in that Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson has a torn ACL mm-hmm. from, like, was it in practice he did it? Non-contact. Yeah, he was practicing today. This was, um, yeah. It was a non-contact. Just, yeah, torn yeah ACL. non-contact. Like, he fell, um, yeah, and just, like, tore his, yeah, tore the ACL, which, and it which, was... Completely sucks, and David, you're probably not aware, but like Deshaun Watson is a rookie in the NFL, quarterback, and he wasn't a starter. Um, Tom Savage was the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season, but Watson replaced him in halftime of like the first game, I think, and since then he's been like definitely the funnest thing going on in the NFL this year. And uh, he was last year the quarterback of Clemson when they beat Alabama in the national championship game. And even as an Alabama fan, he was fun to watch. But, so, bear with me on this. A lot of interesting stuff going on with that. So, you know, Deshaun Watson, when he was a kid, he uh, had a home donated to him by Warwick Dunn, who is one of my top ten favorite football players of all time, uh, who is from Baton Rouge. So Warwick Dunn's mom was a cop who was killed when she was off-duty and so Warwick Dunn was left with his brothers and sisters, and he had a scholarship to FSU, and he wasn't going to go because he wanted to take care of his family, but he went, became one of the greatest FSU players ever, went to the NFL, and despite being really small, played running back successfully for Tampa Bay and Atlanta, and was a really great guy, and every year he would give away a few furnished homes to families in need, and I think he still does. So one of those families was Deshaun Watson, who goes on to be NFL quarterback, and then to kind of help repay this, his first game check he gave to um, uh, cafeteria workers for the Texans who had had their homes damaged in Harvey, Hurricane Harvey. So correct me if I'm getting this wrong. No, that's all correct. Yeah, that's all correct. Okay, so I'm going to link this Deshaun Watson story into a few other stories that are going on. So Deshaun Watson is injured. He's a dynamic quarterback, can run, can throw. It's exciting to watch. So he's going to be replaced by Tom Savage who is not exciting in any way, shape, or form and has not been a particularly successful quarterback yet. So, uh, of all Brian the quarterbacks... Brian McCann has a better running game than Deshaun <laughs> Watson. McCann. Sid Bream has a better running game <laughs> than Tom Savage. But so, 
Uh, of the possible, so now they need a backup, right? So of the possible free agent quarterbacks out there, they have signed Matt McGloin, Matt McGloin, <laughs> who is uh, 6'1", 210, undrafted out of Penn State, where he played for Bill O'Brien, who's the coach of the Texans now. So for his career, he's had a 55.9% uh, completion rating. He has 1,800 yards, 11 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and a 75.3 passer rating. Okay, so that's Matt McGloin. He's been signed. Now, there is another free agent quarterback out there who's uh, 6'5", mm. 230, has 72 career touchdowns versus mm. 30 interceptions, 12,000 passing yards. Don't know who you're talking about. Uh, 89 pass uh, quarterback rating. Uh, on top of that, 2,300 rushing yards and 13 rushing TV, TDs. Uh, runs a 4-5 in the 40 and had a, scored a 37 on the Wonderlick. Uh that might be free. Anybody have an idea what free agent quarterback I'm referencing? Mm. David's asleep. <laughs> David's asleep. <laughs> um, Kurt Warner. No. <laughs> Kurt Warner's Floby. No, um, it is Colin Kaepernick. It's Colin Kaepernick uh, is out never there. Heard of him. Never heard of him. But here's where I'm going to link these together. If you will remember, the Houston Texans owner, Robert McNair... Not to be confused with Steve Air McNair of Dave and Buster's fame. <laughs> no, too soon. Uh, Robert McNair, who's, who it was reported earlier this week that he said in an NFL meeting about the protests going on, we can't have the inmates running the prison, which then sparked a walkout by Texans players, uh, who most of whom kneeled before the game on Sunday. So I just found all of this very... Interesting, and we haven't commented on the Colin Kaepernick thing at all because it hasn't really tied into what we talk about on here. And I've kind of just, you know, I have many opinions about it, but I've kind of expected something to work out. But then this thing here where Deshaun Watson, the funnest guy to watch in the NFL right now, is injured, is out for the year, and the Texans go out and pick up Matt McGlowan, who everyone has to Google when Colin Kaepernick's out there. It's so obvious and when the owner has said this week we can't have the inmates running the prison, it's just kind of yeah. Fun. And uh, an interesting fact too is that um, uh, Bobby McNair, Bobby McNair said that, but the Houston Texans have, they are one of the few teams that had no one before last Sunday's game where almost mm-hmm. the entire team knelt. They had no no one knelt like no one knelt before the national anthem right. on the entire team. I think they had one person at the beginning of the okay, first game of the season raised a fist, uh, raised their fist in the air. And that was the only protest they had had. Like, no one knelt, no one did anything, no one did anything out of the ordinary uh, for the Houston Texans. But then uh, Bobby McNair um, went and poked wrote, the bear. When he poked the bear. And even like DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins. Who is probably the second most dynamic player mm-hmm. uh, on the Houston, may, or maybe some may argue the first wide receiver walked out of practice. Like when the article, I think the article was released on Friday, and he walked out of practice and did not mm-hmm. come back until the game. There was question about whether or not he would return for the game, um, but mm-hmm. there you have. So who who is Robert Renner, Bobby Renner? Like who? What is his deal? How did he get his money? He got his money uh, through nefarious means. He is a he's like a Jerry Jones type. Um, oh, great. Oil yeah. guy. Oil guy. Um, yeah. He is. Let's see. He's um. Yeah, he's an energy. I think he's like an energy company. Yeah, he is. Uh, his well, he made most of his money when his company was sold to Enron. Um, in the early, that's where he got a big bunch of his money. He does finance and real estate, and and um, so on the up and up, all on the up and up, yeah. And so he is a uh, yeah, probably one of the most. I'm trying to think of some of the other instances. Uh, yeah, he's kind of known for saying inappropriate things, like Jerry Jones and the uh, mm-hmm. who's the the Tennessee Titans owner who has an, who is also an who is also an oil like an energy guy, oil and oil and gas guy from Houston. Um, yeah. But, so. 
So David uh, has uh, fallen asleep and. <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm kind of interested in parts of this story and parts of it kind of make my eyes roll back in my head because I don't know what you're talking about. Not because it's intrinsically not interesting. It's just something I don't know anything about. I try not. I'm Wonderlic score. I've decided I'm not <laughs> going to make any more lame jokes about understanding less than I do about sports. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I really don't understand what you're talking about in when you're talking about like uh, b how many yards people rush for and things like that. I don't have a scale for that or anything. But uh, the Kaepernick thing I think is really interesting just because I read today, I mean, this is just like a Facebook rumor that somebody said that he'd gotten an offer from a Canadian um, team and that they hadn't heard back from him. And I was just thinking, you know, it would be a crying shame for him to leave the U.S. and have to leave the U.S. because he's standing up for the U.S., you know? I mean, not literally, of course, but um, right. um, it just seems, um, you know, there was a similar thing with, I, I think it's probably different, and I don't know enough about it to be uh, sure, but uh, Sam, um, What's his name? Uh, the the gay guy who got drafted and his career didn't work out. Sam. Um, oh, geez, uh, from Missouri. I just forgot his name. <laughs> he uh, linebacker from Missouri, in, uh, SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Sam. Michael Sam. Yeah, that's it, Michael Sam. And to me, it was like I I couldn't quite I didn't quite know what to make of the story with him because. There was a claim that while he was great at college ball, that he wasn't quite mm -hmm. specialized enough, that he, uh, um, you know, that he just wasn't quite the right physical type, even though he was right. an excellent athlete, that he wasn't quite the right physical type to have a lot of success in the NFL, and that maybe it had nothing mm -hmm. to do with the fact that there was um, anything associated with his name that was other than what the owners might like. But I think with Kaepernick that it's um, increasingly clear that um, he's being boycotted rather than that he's just not working out as a player. I don't know how the owners are trying to sell that, um, the fact that he can't find a team. But Well, that's the thing that I'm getting at with this, this point about today where it's just like so... I mean, there's no way that it's not obvious at that at this point. Because the argument up to this point has been, well, he doesn't fit the system that we're playing. Uh, in this case, he completely fits the system. It would be a great replacement. And instead, they're going with Matt McGloin, undrafted, six foot one, two ten, uh, you know, completely mediocre at best, backup career backup quarterback. Going well, it's obvious. So I want to link this to one other thing that's going on. Were you following the last week with the, um, is it Cato or Cato by Shreveport, the Cato Parish uh, Sheriff Steve Prater? Did you catch any of this? No. So um, this, because, you know, in Louisiana, we finally have a Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards, because uh, Bobby Jindal was so god-awful yeah. that <laughs> even people in Louisiana voted for a Democrat. Um and it's been great for me because that meant we got the Medicare buy-in and we got lots of other stuff. So part of it has been that uh, there's been some new criminal law changes that are taking effect as of yesterday that um, 16,000 inmates, uh, incarcerated people, are going to have their records reviewed and a lot of them are going to be released, right? Because it's Louisiana has the highest incarceration rates in the country and I think some of the highest in the world. Is that uh, because, I'm curious if you know, is that because mm -hmm. they arrest a lot of their own people or because they import prisoners? No, I think those are people, and I'll check on it, but I think those are people that are arrested in Louisiana. Okay. Because um, <coughs> I know right, that at least for a while that they were, that the prison industry was importing prisoners. Uh, or, at least, or at least across parish lines where you would house prisoners for other right, parishes right. Oh, that uh, for yeah, money. That yeah, Sure, that happens. Um, and I'll check and see if the other is factored into the stats. But, you know, Louisiana has an insane incarceration rate. 
Yeah. Um, so they're they're moving to let a lot of people out, and it's mainly being sold as a cost cutting move. I would like to be see it as being like a move away from incarceration, but uh, John Bell Edwards is selling it as this is saving money, which is also doing because it costs a lot to imprison people. So Steve Prater, the sheriff of Cotto Parish up around Shreveport, which everyone knows is the cultural heartland of Louisiana, um, this made him angry, and he said um, they're releasing some good ones that we use every day to wash cars, to change the oil in our cars, to cook in the kitchen, to do all that where we save money. The ones you can work, that's the ones that you can have pick up trash or work the police programs, but guess what? Those are the ones that they are releasing. He was fuming mad because they were... Releasing the good prisoners instead of the bad ones. Yeah, releasing the good prisoners who they are using to do free labor for the prison system, right? Uh, So he's essentially admitting what we kind of know goes on in Louisiana. It's the same thing that happened during Jim Crow, which is that we have insane incarceration rates, and then they use those people as free labor. Uh, there's another word for uh, using people for free labor. I can't mm-hmm. quite um, can't quite Colin remember. See, <laughs> it's something from something from Southern history, but I don't know. Well, I can't. The Thirteenth Amendment made me uh, made. I can't. I'm not allowed to remember it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, this was his his protesting it, and you know, and this this goes on in Angola. This goes on everywhere uh, in, in, in Louisiana. Um, and so when this started getting attention, he said, uh, Prater said, my many years of public service prove beyond any doubt that I view all persons equally, uh, to say or imply any differently is untruthful, but you can go back and watch the video where he says, uh, we could get him to work. Yeah. I guess the alternative is, yeah, to let out the bad ones that you can't get to work for free. Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, um... I think that, that Bell Edwards is stuck in a position where one of the things about being somebody who uh, is a recipient of a protest vote, essentially, is that mm-hmm. you're always kind of a lame duck and you're struggling very hard to get votes. And so he has to be very careful how he frames everything for the public. Oh, no, totally. And so, yeah, so and saying this is a, cost, a, yeah. that we're saving money... It's so it sells so much better to the Louisiana base than saying that we're trying to save people. No, of course, of course, yeah, of course it's the case. And I don't think you know, I don't think he's um, terribly left wing anyway. Like I mean, no. I'm happy he's the governor, but I think that's probably what he believes as well. So I mean, I just connected this to the the Robert McNair quote as well because it just these people when they're allowed to speak for themselves say what they mean, right? There's not even that much subtext between it, right? Like uh, Robert Bernier saying, we can't have the inmates running the prison, and then the sheriff saying, well, we, we can't let the inmates out of the prison because we need them to wash our cars and change the oil. Yeah, it's... Um, um, I don't think that they understand subtext very well. And also, you know, I just was looking at a story uh, today about what happens if the Mueller investigation proves this conspiracy and nobody cares. And that's nobody's going to care. And that's you can be started the, on this but nope, nobody's yeah. going to care. <laughs> I mean, so the we, or the people who already care, care will care. But Yeah, but the um, 38% who support Trump or they they will not care. And over and above not caring, they will not even acknowledge that it happened. I already know this. Well, and and in the same way, no matter what uh, uh, somebody named McNair says or uh, some uh, some some sheriff in uh, uh, Louisiana says, there are people who are going to say racism is just made up. This isn't about race, and it's not about class. It's just about doing the crime and doing the time, or you're getting so rich off of football that anything that somebody does to you is okay because you're making a lot of money. Yeah. Yep. So that brings us to to, to our next story this week. Uh, so I don't know if you follow this, but there's an incident on <coughs> Tulane campus yesterday where someone um, went around taping up signs, or the day before yesterday, taping up signs that say, it's okay to be white all over campus 
to which my initial reaction was like, I don't think there's anyone at Tulane who doesn't already get that it's completely okay to be white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one message I've received from being at this school for six years, is it's really, really, really okay to be white. I hear that from from a, from some of my um, Tulane colleagues. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, In fact, it gets you really far. I've heard it my whole life. Really. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not a radical message. Um, but, you know, apparently this was coordinated by 4chan, the absolute mm. shit stain of the internet, the Miss May's men's room of the internet, uh, for a local <laughs> reference. Uh, if anyone's familiar with Miss May's, well, apparently it's been remodeled and now it just stinks and is nasty, but it used to be a sloped tile floor with no toilet. <laughs> it was kind of a small gutter at the back. So, uh, yeah, the, the 4chan is... But apparently they were telling people to, um, as they were wearing Halloween outfits and couldn't be identified, to go put up It's Okay to Be White uh, signs on University. So Tulane got It's Okay to Be White signs. And there's already, you know, here we're already dealing as, you know, uh, air quotes, elite, private university in the South. There's already a lot wrapped up in that people of color don't feel particularly welcome here is what I hear. Uh, so this helps contribute to that, which is always good. Great. Uh, yeah, good um, and you're saying is this happening all over the place or just at Tulane? So the first I heard, I thought it was a Tulane thing, but apparently it's been found that this was a coordinated thing that's happened other places, that 4chan was kind of orchestrating this. <clears throat> well, I'm thinking how, wh which schools really have enough of a 4chan fan base to um, um, uh, to get any action on it, I wonder. Uh, James Madison? I don't know. Probably all of them. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We did have the one guy with, like, with a bullhorn running around Tulane with no shirt on yelling, Trump won, get over it, one day. So, I mean, I think he's got his constituency here. Well, I remember there was a thing with the fraternity that built a wall in front of their fraternity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they build it every year out of sandbags and fill it up with water, and then they put Trump on it last time. Yeah, and, and then football players showed up and ripped it down, and they said, "Why don't you get up the joke?" Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was the biggest win Tulane football's had in a long time. <laughs> um, um, anyway, so that's just something that happened. So also, we've been talking recently about uh, elections in the South, and coming up this week, I think. On the 7th, next Tuesday, in Atlanta, is the big uh, mayoral... Is it like the preliminary election? Primary, maybe? And then it can go to a runoff. It's the election, and then I think it's possibly going to a runoff is the way it works. So this is the one that Vincent Fort is running in, and he is a uh, academic... You, well, he's an academic, and he's a kind of a labor movement person for decades, and he's being supported by Bernie Sanders and Killer Mike, and 28 unions, and he's supposed to be the real deal left-wing guy who has a chance to be mayor of Atlanta, which would be great. And his uh, current position is the Democratic whip of the Georgia State Senate until he just resigned to run for mayor. So I don't know if you guys have been following that election at all. I haven't, but it sounds really exciting. Yeah, and it's a, uh, I think it's a, um, well, 538 has, a, I'm not going to use this, but it had like a winner-take-all uh, well, it's it's not like Democrat and Republican. Like it's um, right. jungle primary. Yeah, jungle primary. I didn't want to say that in reference to uh, the Atlanta mayoral race, a jungle <laughs> primary. But uh, well, I think that's the the term that's used. Right? It always sounds a little weird, but yeah. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, yeah. Like so, it's a jungle primary, and if the if nobody wins a majority, then the top two finishers do another like they do another round what yeah, does that okay. term mean does it just mean anybody no matter what party affiliation you yeah, don't you don't right. vote within your party right the better sounding term is the nonpartisan blanket primary yeah that's yeah that's the better yeah that's the term i i can't ever think of the yeah but it's commonly called the jungle king of the jungle or law um, of the jungle yeah survival of the, the fittest yeah, the, survival of the fittest there yeah. can be only one Right. Um, and it produces some weird things. I think that's like the one that like, you know, David Duke was in and Governor right. Edwin Edwards and David Duke and Buddy Romer were all in together. Um, but, you know, it can have some interesting effects on like, you know, Fort's 
got a chance, I believe. This 538 says he has a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's yeah. doing pretty well. Um, and who is he up against? He's up against... Um, well, he is up against the, uh, the chief operate, let's see, it's the, uh, the C, the chief operating officer of Atlanta, like the, um, uh, a, and multiple count, like it's mostly count, other council, like members right. of the Atlanta city council. That's right. Are, um, so I know four's been endorsed by like the local teamsters union and they say, like, this is about a guy literally walking the walk, saying he's been there for a while. And Atlanta's incumbent mayor is Kasim Reed, who is, uh, I believe, a Democrat, but he's, like, really, 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 like, corporate Democrat. Like, he's big with, like, the Chamber of Commerce. He's, he's big with, like, the Republican governor, Nathan Deal. He's big with the business community. Um, but there's all these issues. You know, like, Atlanta is this huge, uh, kind of, in many ways, thriving metropolis, but... Uh, they're also, they have one of the most unequal uh, income situations in the country. So if those are the 95th income percentile, they earn 20 times as much as those in the lowest income bracket. Um, so it's got really rising inequality. And I didn't realize until reading this that Fulton County um, has 22% of all rental households in Fulton County have received an eviction notice. This was in 2015. That's three wow. times the rate of Chicago. So it has these huge... Wow housing and income inequality issues. Um, and that uh, Vincent Fort was kind of on the forefront of trying to prevent the housing crisis in Atlanta before it kind of blew up. So this is in 2002, before the subprime mortgage uh, happened, um, when Georgia saw the Democratic governor, they passed the anti-predatory lending law, which me meant that like uh, banks they were giving high-cost loans, had to provide counseling to the people taking out the loans, and that there could be, like, uh, prepayment penalties and loan flipping were prohibited. So he was really kind of looking at that situation before, and he's also for $15 an hour minimum wage and uh, is very much pro-Atlanta as Sanctuary City. And also we talked about in one of our early podcasts, he's for expanding MARTA, the Rapid Transit Authority, which has tons of like kind of racial issues embedded at it in it in Atlanta. So that's a see episode a, one. Yes, yeah, see episode one. So that's a really interesting election to watch. I think. Yeah, that I'm um, interested to see what's going to happen there. So, can somebody if somebody gets more than fifty percent, can they win that election, or will it be a runoff no matter what? No, I think it's a major. Yeah, if you, um, yeah, I think it's like fifty percent. If someone wins fifty over fifty percent, they get it, right? They get it. Yeah, they win automatically. But if no one gets <coughs> over fifty percent, then the top two vote getters. And what's advance. what's the some date? I know the num November seventh. Okay. I know in some nonpartisan blanket primaries, is the top two candidates just go to the next round. Hmm. I don't, I'm, we'll have to see how this one is. Yep. Uh, so speaking of elections, we'll probably cover more of this uh, at some other point, but I wanted to, on our great Lost episode, we were looking into, um, I hate to say, probably future Alabama senator, uh, crazy shithouse rat Roy Moore, um, who is running for senator of Alabama as a Republican, meaning there's a very good chance he will be in the Senate. Uh, and he's running for the slot that was vacated by Jeff Sessions, who is currently the Attorney General, might not be that much longer. Um, so if you guys know, Roy Moore is most famous for being fired or as judged twice or being lots of problems because he decided first to hang the Ten Commandments on the wall of the courthouse and pray before each uh, session, and then he decided after that to place a two-ton stone replica of the Ten Commandments on the courthouse lawn with taxpayer funds, and couldn't figure out why that would be problematic. So that's our boy, Roy Moore. Well, I, I've um, uh, pointed out at various points that one thing that's problematic about it is that only three of the commandments are actually illegal. Uh, like we can claim, or people can claim that that's the basis of Western law all they like, want. Ass coveting? 
Um, there's murder and perjury and stealing are the three things that are illegal on the list of the Ten Commandments. But the rest are um, like disrespecting your parents and uh, um, taking the Lord's name in vain and uh, watching football on the Sabbath and uh, those sorts of infractions. Yeah, my favorite thing to point about the Ten Commandments is there's actually 11 commandments. The 11th commandment, uh, yeah. Well, no, no, I mean, I think there are, if you read them, there's actually 11, but they kind of try to bunch them into 10 because it makes things sound better. I think they try, is it the, uh, is it the coveting one they try to split in half? Well, I don't know. Um, yeah, I thought sure. you were talking about Reagan's 11th commandment. Oh, no, Reagan's 11th <laughs> commandment. I mean, that one in our household, that's the one near and dear. Uh, no, uh, not Reagan's 11th commandment. No, I think there are, like, you could either read them as 11 or 9, but 10 sounds a lot better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Roy, Roy Moore, my favorite fact about Roy Moore is that between being fired as a judge, he had a brief career as uh, the kickboxing champion of Gadsden, Alabama. Well, sure, yeah. Which is uh, always amazing to me. Um, so we're trying to get uh, my friend Charles, who writes for The New Yorker, did a great piece this week about how stupid Roy Moore is. And his is kind of like the best in a series that I've read. There's been like kind of a... The people who actually knew Roy Moore in law school, people who know him, say that like the, the standout trait of him is that he's irretrievably dumb. And that not only is he dumb, he's like completely bullheaded about it. So one of his um, law professors wrote an article a bit back, and the, the professor was also very conservative and very religious and agreed with Roy Moore on a lot of policy stuff, but he said that Roy Moore had been such like a, a jackass in law school that he, he had to abandon using the Socratic method and just go to lectures because he couldn't listen to Roy Moore talk anymore in class. <laughs> well, I have a tendency to uh, think that these people are cynical sophisticates but I guess that's not mm -hmm. always true sometimes they are uh, exactly the dumbasses that they're representing yeah just blustering assholes um, yeah so just briefly I think we'll get Charles on here to talk more about this but briefly like uh, someone comments I, I remember our constitutional law professor really ripping Roy apart and using the Socratic method and thinking in retrospect I can't believe this man went to West Point because you kind of think that you have to be smart to go to West Point. <laughs> and then it's a Roy always, one uh, woman who went to school with him says, Roy always sat in front of us, and he would turn around and flirt. Uh, he's the one thing that brought humor to us, because he was, well, kind of a doofus. Huh. <laughs> uh, and then apparently one of his professors used to make him come into class, uh, to the front of the class and spin around in a circle, and he would yell at him, more, you're a fruit salad. More, you're a fruit salad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've never, you know, I've never used that method before in the college classroom. Maybe <laughs> I should try it. Maybe you should try it. That's called the salad. I think that's called the salad spinner. Yeah, the salad <laughs> spinner method. Um, but for those who don't know, like Roy Moore, like his most famous judicial <coughs> decisions have been uh, uh, making making sure that gay people can't adopt children, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, the, because the, he says. It's not discrimination because, and it's not about personal morality. It's um, because uh, being gay is so horrible that you have to present, prevent children from experiencing that. And I think his actual quote was, the state carries the power of the sword. That is the power to prohibit conduct with physical penalties, such as confinement and even execution. It must use that power to prevent the subversion of children towards this lifestyle, to not encourage a criminal lifestyle. So he's a good guy. Um, I guess he doesn't see the circularity of that. And his, I think his, after the Ten Commandments thing, his most famous uh, was when he ordered all of the um, county clerks in the state and told them that they couldn't issue gay marriage licenses after the Supreme Court established the constitutionality of gay marriage. But he put himself above the Supreme Court because states' rights, I guess, or because well, he said, yeah, God's I natural law. Also, well, he said he swore an oath to the Alabama Constitution, which says that the law is God's law. 
Mm. Okay. It'll be interesting to see what year the Alabama Constitution was. Uh, Is that out. all the Alabama Constitution says? That's yeah, the that's whole it. Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's all. That's all we got. And ro- it says "Roll Tide" at the end. <laughs> yeah. uh, roll Tide. Right, but you know, also one of my favorite tidbits about Roy Moore in this piece too is that when he he was an MP in Vietnam, which is kind of all you need to know about him, but that he made others he made soldiers salute him, which might be astonishing when you think about that in Vietnam because uh, uh, North Vietnamese snipers, like most officers, did not want to be saluted in Vietnam because North Vietnamese snipers would shoot them, but Roy Moore is such a dumbass that in, a, in such a Hard, hard ass that he made his soldiers salute him, even though it might get him sniped. I uh, well, uh, what, what could have been <laughs> the path not taken? <laughs> um, All right. Well, so I wanted to do this maybe to close us out here. I wanted to finish with a, a little poem by Judge Roy Moore. And uh, on our, our last episode, we, our, our lost episode, we strove to understand this. But I think it could do better on a second reading. And since we have a professional um, poet with us, I thought we could kind of go through this and see what we think about uh, America the Beautiful by Judge Roy Moore. Copyright 2007, Roy S. Moore. You can't copyright titles, which I guess he's lucky for that. Because <laughs> I, I think that one's been taken. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's signed kickboxing champion of Gadsden <laughs> one of the best Taco Bell stops on the road from New Orleans to Knoxville alright so America the Beautiful here's the first stanza America the Beautiful are so you used to be land of the pilgrim's pride I'm glad they're not here to see babies piled in dumpsters abortion on demand oh sweet land of liberty your house is on the sand Mm-hmm. Uh, that has um, uh, a lot of allusions to um, uh, other people's work, including the Bible. There's uh, the parable about building your house on the sand. And uh, I think that it's in, maybe it's in the book of Revelations, a reference to uh, dumpsters full of babies. I'm not sure where that mm-hmm. one comes from. Also, Land of the Pilgrim's Pride. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, and, um, and um, um, which is also one of his corporate sponsors, Pilgrim's Pride. Pilgrim's uh, Pride. Poultry. I, ha- Halloween masks. Yeah. I, you know, it's kind of astonishing, though, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, that he thinks that the pilgrims, if they could see America today, they, what they'd be most horrified with is abortion. Uh, yeah, it's like, um, uh, it's... I had a friend here in San Miguel once who told me that he was a reactionary and that um, people wondered why he could be a reactionary when the past was so horrible, but that reactionaries are all willing to make up a past that is superior to the present tense and that that's the sort of reactionary he was. And I think that's the kind all reactionaries are. Yeah. Maybe if we told the pilgrims that it was okay because we were... um, mainly aborting the fetuses of people who weren't actual human beings. Yep. Like like Native Americans and things. Yeah. Sweet victory. Okay, next answer. Your children wander aimlessly, poisoned by cocaine, choosing to indulge their lust when God has said, abstain. From sea to shining sea, this nation has turned away from teaching of God's law and a need to always pray. Turning away from a need to always pray is uh, one of the saddest things that a person can do. Um, also, uh, wandering uh, the streets. Uh, what is it with co- cocaine? Addicted to cocaine? Aimlessly, aimlessly poisoned by cocaine. Aimlessly poisoned. Oh, they're, wa- they're wandering aimlessly, poisoned by cocaine. Maybe oh, okay. Right. There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, um, um, that's a that's a rough way to live. He's kind of forcing the rhyme, though, isn't he? Because, like, I don't think cocaine is the biggest problem, but he wants to say abstain. Yeah, both, and also both. uh, I'm sure that he really wanted to say crack. Yeah, when God has said that's whack. Yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He he capitalizes God all the time, but he also capitalizes nation. Uh, Maybe we can send him our notes on this. 
Mm-hmm. I think he's taking. I think he's workshopping it. Yeah. Is that not the name of the country? The na- the nation. The nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. That's what he meant. The nation of Islam has turned away from teaching <laughs> God's law. Um, okay, next stanza. So many worldly pastors telling lies about our rock, saying God is going broke so they can fleece the flock. We've kept God in our temples. How foolish we have grown when all the earth is but his footstool and heaven is his throne. I can't tell you how disappointed I was when that rhyme landed on flock. <laughs> I know. I know. I can't tell you how disappointed I was that um, he's talking about Dwayne Johnson in his poem. <laughs> Speaking of flocks. American patriot, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Well, he's singling out, you know, he's, he's, he's not preaching to the choir here. He's trying to single out those ministers that have also gone astray. Maybe not poisoned by cocaine, but becoming worldly, as it were. Mm-hmm. All right, next stanza. We voted in governments that are rotting to the core, appointing godless judges who throw reason out the door. Too soft to put a killer in a well-deserved tomb, but brave enough to kill that child before he leaves the womb. Oh, judges are working as abortionists now? Yes. Oh. Mm. Soft judges, soft, uh, girly, chicken judges kill babies. Um, and, yeah, not brave enough to sentence people to death, which is an act of incredible moral bravery. <laughs> yeah, yes. yes, it is. Again, um, to send yeah. them to heaven. Um, well, I think that it's, in Alabama they still um, uh, settle these things with single combat and that he personally <laughs> kickboxes them to death. <laughs> uh, but he's got a little pistol in his pocket, too, so maybe that's how he settles it. Um, well, that's is, that, is, that a, is that poetic language? <laughs> he's just glad to, he's just glad to see you. It's both. It's that. It's that and that. It's both things at the same time. Um, you think that God's not angry that our land's a moral slum? How much longer will it be before His judgment comes? And how can we face our God from whom we cannot hide? What is left for us to do but stem this evil tide? Is that the end? No, there's two oh, more okay. stanzas. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, I'm, I'm hoping he's going to offer something a little bit more than stemming. Because stemming sounds like maybe a way of doing drugs or maybe some sexual act or something, but... Uh... Well, he's talking about his corporate sp- another corporate sponsor, Tide. <laughs> evil, evil Tide. Well, I think it was the Bizarro Alabama, so it was the Evil Tide instead of the Crimson Tide. <laughs> yeah. the Looking Glass. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, oh, the sorry. penultimate stanza. For if we who are his children will humbly turn and pray, if we seek his holy face and mend our evil way, then God will hear from heaven and forgive us of our sins. He'll heal our sickly land and those who live within. Uh, looking God in the face um, gets you killed in the Old Testament. Um, and I don't think it's possible in the New unless you are talking about Jesus, but... Yeah, you have to stand in a cleft in a rock or put a veil over your face or something or uh, your your face melts off if you look directly at God. So so don't awesome. seek to look God in the face <laughs> or you'll end up like those Nazis at the end of um, um, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Gone too soon. Yeah. All right, last part. But America the beautiful, if you don't, then you will see a sad but holy God withdraw his hand from thee. That's it. That's the it. Mm-hmm. A sad but, I mean, ho- sad but holy. So, uh, on a scale, poetry scale, from like Wallace Stevens to Jewel, <laughs> where, where do we put uh, Roy Moore? Put him just below Rod McEwen. Um, yeah, that's 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 pretty bad. I mean, um, I think that almost every church newsletter in uh, the rural South has better poems mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Oh, maybe it's, it's a, maybe it's like Ashcroft level, like let the oh, mi- yeah. let the mighty eagle soar level. <laughs> I, yeah, I think his target audience, though, is the yeah church newsletter, rural Alabama church newsletter. 
Yeah. And so it's it's playing it's preaching to the choir then. Literally. Yep. It's funny, just when we started talking about that, I started to have this uh, vivid memory of a really clean, nice-smelling, but old and a little bit strange-smelling uh, bathroom. Um, I don't know. You lost me. I, was just like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm in like a, a rural Baptist church. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a, maybe it has a Glade air freshener in it. Uh, yes, that's exactly it. It's some fake flowers. Yeah. It's oh yeah. Really clean. And you but can the smell the kind of yellow. You can smell the plastic of the flowers because yes. they're a little old. Yes. Yeah. That's the bathroom, and then you walk out, and there's an entrance way that says "This do in remembrance of me." <laughs> There's also, um, uh, for some reason, yellow carpeting in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same as, uh, as in the whole basement of the church, but uh, uh, yellow carpet uh, in the bathroom, which seems like such a mistake, but that's why they need the, the glade shag. air freshener, I think. The shag carpet bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Full of churchgoers increasingly wearing adult diapers. It's a great combination. Well, and their and their tiny grandchildren with poor aim. Oh, no. And also having trouble going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is more tragic than being a Southern Baptist in Alabama with poor aim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that beautiful poetic note, I think we will finish this episode. Uh, and we will see all of you next time. All right. Good night. See you next time.